You are listening to an NDMU radio production. Betrayal, Love, Treason, and Revolution. On September 25th, 1780, a young woman accused George Washington of wanting to murder her son. This is her story. Welcome to That's What She Said, the weekly podcast that looks at women in history. I'm your host, Molly Wolanski, and this week I will be discussing the life of Peggy Shippen Arnold. Peggy Shippen Arnold was born Margaret Shippen in 1760 in Philadelphia. The Shippen family was one of the most prominent and wealthy families of Philadelphia. Peggy was the youngest surviving child of her parents. Her ancestors were prominent in the history of Pennsylvania and more specifically Philadelphia. When her great-great-grandfather arrived in Philadelphia, he was thought to be one of the wealthiest men in the city and even served a term as mayor. His grandson, Peggy's grandfather, was a successful businessman who invested heavily in real estate and founded the town of Shippensburg in southern central Pennsylvania. He was also a founding trustee of the university now known as Princeton. Her father was a prominent and successful judge in the city, and her mother was the daughter of a successful lawyer. The Shippen family had loyalist leanings during the war, but were not completely loyal to the crown or supported the revolution. They supported their family and their own personal interests. Loyalists were individuals during and before the Revolutionary War who remained loyal to and supported the crown and and opposed the revolution. Peggy was the favorite child of her father and the one that was thought to have the most promise in the family. Peggy was raised like all upper class girls with servants and a chance at education via tutoring and what was acceptable for a woman in her time, including concepts of needlepoint, music, and other topics like that. She was sharp and smart, but also described as being very beautiful, which is important for later facts about her life. She turned 16 the same year that the Declaration of Independence was signed, but her story won't get as interesting for another year or two after that. Even though she didn't make history until 1780, she grew up surrounded by it, living in the most populous city in the colonies at the time, and being of an upper-class family, and her father having connections to individuals such as George Washington and her future husband, Benedict Arnold. Peggy also lived three blocks away from Elizabeth Griscom, or as we know her today, Betsy Ross, the creator of the first American flag. In 1776, when the war began to threaten Philadelphia, Peggy's father removed them from the city to the countryside in rural New Jersey. It is believed that Peggy hated this move and and the rural retreat. They did not last long in New Jersey due to the lack of city comforts and the fact that her father could be tried for treason if he stayed neutral in the war. The next move took him up the Schuylkill River, about four miles outside of Philadelphia, to a farm. And they moved back into the city around the time the British captured it. Peggy's story begins in the autumn of 1777 when she was courted by British officer Captain Jean Andre. He was 27 to Peggy's 17. Peggy was only one of the multiple girls that Andre courted, including her friend Peggy Chu, who was the main love interest of Andre. The British did not last long in the city and planned to return to New York in the spring, but not before throwing a lavish party called the Mesquianza, which Peggy may have attended. The details are unknown. There's one documentation where she did go to the party and another where she did not. 
And when Andre left the city, he left all of the girls he courted a gift. For Peggy, he left a lock of his hair, and Peggy did not know if they would see each other again, but they stayed in touch. After the British left the city, the Revolutionary Army returned, and Peggy met her future husband, Benedict Arnold. He was a traitor and smuggler turned soldier and officer. Arnold was responsible for taking the British forts in upstate New York and in Canada, the most famous being Fort Ticonderoga, which is in the town of Ticonderoga, which is the top of Lake George. Arnold was involved in the war from the start, and he had and he had, was shot during the Battle of Saratoga, and this ultimately led to his arrival in Philadelphia and into Peggy's life. Due to his injury, Washington removed him from the front and made him military governor of Philadelphia. Arnold was 19 years older than Peggy, who was 18 at the time of their meeting in 1778, which made Arnold 37 years old. Arnold ran the city with his own interests in mind and made some very questionable business decisions that came back later and were he was tried as under court martial for. And he held lavish parties despite not being paid for his work in the war for about three years. He courted Peggy heavily during this period and they were married soon after. Peggy's father didn't initially approve of their marriage because Arnold was not of Philadelphia and he would probably move her away from the city and away from her family. And also, it was not a lucrative enough business deal for the ship and family because weddings at the time were not really for love, they were more for business and family connections. But before the wedding, Arnold made one final gesture to the family to win them over, and this was the purchase of an estate on the Schuylkill River for Peggy. This seemed to work because they were married on April 8th, 1779. A month after the wedding, Arnold and Peggy began to offer their services to the British. They both had suffered because of the war with finances being drained on, drained on Arnold's side and Peggy facing harassment for being compl complacent and invited to the Mescianza with her friends and family harmed by the war as well. Arnold had sworn allegiance to the revolution a year before this, but Peggy had sworn no such oath, so both were traitors yet Peggy did not break an oath and remain true in her intentions. Maybe Arnold was prepared to turn or Peggy convinced him, but they worked together in their efforts to secretly help the British. Peggy was most likely the catalyst due to the timing and her connections to John Andre and the other British officers. And the loyalist who carried the messages for them from Philadelphia to New York was known to the Shippen family more so than he was known to Arnold. Andre, meanwhile, rose through the ranks and was in a great spot to pass on information gathered from Arnold. In April of 1779, Andre was promoted to Chief of the Secret Services or the Spy Network. The perfect place in relation to the Arnolds, within two weeks he had the first message from Arnold. Each person in this little network had a code name, and Peggy was called the Lady or Mrs. Moore. In his book, which was an invaluable source of information for this episode, Stephen Case compares Peggy's codename of the Lady to Lady Macbeth due to the character's elaborate schemes and Andre's love of Shakespeare. Peggy was invaluable to the operation due to her past connection to Andre and the innocuous nature of sending let letters to keep up with an old friend if Arnold could not pass on the information himself. 
A few months later, Peggy thought they were done with the spy network, and she was ready for Arnold to be cleared in his court-martial and return to service or to be discharged so they could start their life together. But that did not happen, and, and-, and Andre had his sights on West Point. While this was going on, Peggy was pregnant with her first child, which was a risk in itself. Infant mortality was high, and so was the chance of maternal death. Peggy successfully gave birth to her first son on March 19, 1780. She named her son Edward Shippen Arnold after his uncle, grandfather, and great-grandfather. In May of that year, conversations between the Arnolds and Andre had begun. The Arnolds also had their sights set on West Point in the Hudson River Valley. They were trying to convince Washington to give them control of this prime location, which they could then surrender to the British. Capturing West Point would mean an end to the war and an end to the freedom of the colonies. It was such a strategic location that both sides wanted it. If the British had it, they would cut off the military uh, from New, uh, New England northward from Pennsylvania and the rest of the southern colonies, so it would make the war much harder to fight. After months of waiting in another less desirable post, Arnold was given command of West Point with Peggy joining him not too long after. In the month between Arnold's appointment and Peggy's arrival, information had to travel through Peggy as it was difficult to send messages from West Point to New York without being discovered. Peggy left for West Point in September of 1780. When she arrived, she would join Arnold two miles downstream at the Robinson House where Arnold was living and the military was headquartered. This was a very strategic location because it was close to West Point, but it also gave the Arnolds a chance to flee easily when West Point was going to be captured by the British. While waiting for Peggy to arrive, the men got reckless in their actions and tried to set up meetings to no success at first. Once she arrived, Peggy was in charge of diverting the attention of Arnold's aides and ensuring they did not notice the strange communications he was sending. Both of his aides were infatuated with Peggy, making this a much easier task. Arnold finally met with Andre for the first time on Friday, September 22nd, 1780, at a meeting in the middle of the night. The, fir- the meeting went long, and Andre was forced to spend the night behind enemy lines, and Arnold had also given Andre important documents and maps of West Point, which would ultimately leave d- lead to Andre's downfall and eventual es- execution. On Sunday night, Peggy and Arnold went to bed after preparing for Washington's arrival the next day while two messengers were crossing the countryside. One was traveling to Arnold with news of the capture of Andre, who was identifying as a man named Anderson, and another messenger was racing to Washington to bring the documents Andre was carrying that were signed by Benedict Arnold. Monday morning saw the arrival of the messengers and the impending arrival of George Washington. The messengers arrived before Washington and Arnold was in a panic. This is where Peggy's largest role in in the story comes. Arnold fled at the arrival of Washington and said he was going to go visit West Point and would be back in a couple hours. But instead of going upriver, he went downriver toward New York City. It was on Peggy to distract Washington and his party. To put it simply, Peggy went mad. She was prone to what at the time were referred to as hysteric fits. And her fit began while Washington was inspecting the state of West Point and accused one of her husband's aides of ordering the death of her son. 
She told the aide that only George Washington could make her feel better and remove the, quote, irons from her head. And so the aide went to fetch Washington. Once Washington was in the room, Peggy called him an imposter and said he was there to assist the aide in the killing of her son. Was Peggy's fit planned to aid the escape of her husband or merely just one of her fits that she was so prone to? The timing and magnitude of it contribute to the idea that it was planned, but it is still up to debate. But overall, she was successful in distracting Washington, whether it was faked or real. She was distracted him long enough for Arnold to get a couple hours head start, and her episode also allowed her to be described as mad and unfit to have taken part in Arnold's schemes of treason, so that also helped her. She arrived in Philadelphia about a month later, and she was eventually banned about a month after that from Philadelphia, and she was reunited with Arnold in New York City in November of that year. While living in New York, she gave birth to their second child, and at the end of 1781, they left New York City for London. While in London, Peggy became the main force behind keeping her home together. She managed the finances, raised their family in uncertain conditions, and held everything together while Arnold ran off in some various money-making ventures. Peggy was lonely in London, but she did not stay there for long at first. In 1787, she joined Arnold in Canada. At the end of 1789, she was finally able to return to Philadelphia and see her family. She eventually went back to Canada, and in 1791, Peggy returned with her family to England from Canada because of bad business dealings on Arnold's end. That meant they were no longer welcome in the town they were in in Canada. Peggy had complained most of her adult life of ailments, and when Arnold returned from a business venture in 1795, her complaints were quite serious and she was in very bad shape. In 1803, Peggy began to show symptoms of uterine cancer and died from it on August 24, 1804 at the age of 44. Peggy lived with a lot of what-ifs in her life and definitely lived an interesting life to say the least. The what-ifs the what were like, what if she had never met Andre, what if she had never met Arnold, and what if she never became a spy? Would her life have been completely different and would Arnold be remembered differently in history? Her story has been told in a variety of manners from drunk history to the AMC show Turn. I would not have been able to write this episode without the book Treacherous Beauty by Mark Jacob and Stephen H. Case. This book was an amazing look and in-depth look into Peggy and the events of her life. It was a great read and I highly recommend it. For more sources, check out the post on the That's What She Said Facebook page. Again, I'm your host, Molly Wolanski, and thank you for listening to this episode of That's What She Said. This has been a production of NDMU Radio Network.